Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Viva Alberto's podcast. My name is John Fleming. I'm a writer at Viva Alberto's, joined as always by Heather Simon. She's a writer and editor at Viva Alberto's. Hello, everyone. All right. And uh, yeah, we still don't know how to transition out of the intro, do we? Oh, <laughs> oh well. Uh, let's just get started. Uh, obviously, the big baseball news since the last episode we had was that the Chicago Cubs are World Series champions. They won the World Series. May or may not have heard it. It was kind of underreported and not a lot of attention given to it. But they are champions. And um, sun came up the next morning. I guess we're we're all uh, kind of coping as Cardinals fans to some degree. But I don't know. I was a little unaffected I guess I thought I I wasn't in the camp where good for them or anything I was rooting against them but my boss is a Cubs fan she was really happy and she's really nice so it was not that big of a deal to me I figured eventually they're gonna win might as well win when they're the best team in the league get that out of the way yeah it was certainly a legitimate championship on their part just because they were certainly the best team in baseball and the best team in baseball doesn't always win you know the Cardinals were probably the best team in 2004 and they didn't win they were certainly not the best team in 2006 and they won so these things do sort of balance out but they you know this year they were deserved champions it would have been nice if they'd won without having all this Chapman on them but at least he got a below a save in game seven so they were made it worth it they were upsized Mm -hmm. even though I had to donate 105 dollars to uh charity per my promise that if he blew a save in the World Series, I would donate 105 in honor of the miles per hour he claims he, he can throw. <laughs> I got a nice thank you email from them a couple days later, ending with Go Cubs Go. So That's DVLC Chicago, right? Yes. Yeah, so we'll you. Uh, I know you're a big proponent yeah. of <laughs> their work, so I'll let you do the, the plugging there. Yep. Hashtag pitch in for DV. I mean, whether or not that continues beyond this year, since Aroldis Chapman's a free agent, still remains to be seen, but it may be wherever he ends up, and we'll talk about free agency in a little bit, that'll be something that's taken on. It, it, it was nice to see, though, that like you know, Cubs fans that I follow on Twitter, stuff like that, were obviously very happy that their team was winning, but did have a certain sense of, you know, if we're going to blow it, it should be a role this Chapman blowing it. Like, we, we don't want it to be, like, Chris Bryant making an error. Oh, no, that'd be awful. Like, some actually likable player. Because, like, this is a very likable team, really, with one glaring exception. Like, you could argue John Lackey's kind of, you know, a crusty old fogey. And... Jer- Jake Arrieta. Yeah. He like... seems to be not a great guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's certain players that I'm not super into. But overall, like, there are certainly, you know, worse teams you know, once you get Chapman out of the picture to uh, to have be champions. But, you know, life moves on. And, you know, really other than a season in which the Cardinals win the World Series, like my amount of sorrow of them winning is not like really much worse than any other year. You know, the main problem is that they blocked the Cardinals and they're going to be a threat going forward and that they really dominated the NL Central this year and hopefully next year and you know, it still remains to be seen what these teams are going to look like. Hopefully the Cardinals can be more competitive. So I'm almost certainly, barring something absolutely crazy, the Cubs will still be division favorites, but maybe the Cardinals can at least you know, keep things interesting for a while because the Cubs had it pretty well in hand for a while. I would say after the first month, they went like 20 and 
four or five or something like that. Yeah. It was pretty much over after that. Yeah, they got off to a hot start that was unsustainable, and they settled back into merely being really, really good. But, you know, maybe the Cardinals can be really good. Who knows? But if they are really good, it's going to be, um, once again, with Mike Matheny as manager. And he was going to be the manager, you know, barring him being fired with a year remaining on his contract anyway. But the day after the Cubs won the World Series, the good news for Cardinals fans just kept coming. (laughs) When Mike Matheny got a three-year extension through 2020 to be the manager... And I know that there tends to be a fairly anti-Mike Matheny sentiment among uh, Viva Alberto's writers. I think, Heather, you're probably more on the pro-Matheny side than most. So do you want to defend it, or do you want to like look at the brighter side of things? Sure. I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the pro-Matheny side, because whenever I get into discussions about him, I'm always anti-Matheny, but I'm just less anti-Matheny than everyone else on the the staff (laughs) so uh whenever i talk to other baseball fans i feel like i'm more anti-matheny than they are so i'm probably more in the middle but i'm optimistic person in just in general so i'll I'll defend it i guess i'll try my best uh here's the thing about matheny and we kind of went over this last podcast when we talked to kyle mcclellan the players they had a little bit of, they were reported a little bit of unease in the locker room this year, which is supposed to be his specialty. But most players, when you talk to them, they say things like, he's a leader of men. Kyle McClellan said that exact phrase, actually. Um, you read things about players running through a brick wall for Matheny. And I just feel like if they were to fire him or... I feel like that would be a a harsher clubhouse environment because I feel like they really do respect and admire him. And he does go to bat for his players. That's one thing I've always respected about him is, for instance, when Carlos Beltran bunted, what was that, in 2013? He bunted with a runner on third and... I mean, there's been so many bunts in the Mike Matheny era. This is the very specific one. Yeah, a very specific bunt with uh, Carlos Beltran, and everyone was so mad about it, and they were mad at Matheny, and Matheny just took the blame for it, and he did not put Carlos Beltran out there to, to, like, he did not hang him out there to dry, and Beltran later said, no, I did that on my own, and you can blame Matheny, I guess, for creating a culture where Beltran thought he would have to bunt, but I don't really think that's Matheny's doing. I think that's a baseball thing in general. You know, try to sacrifice yourself for the greater good of the team and sacrifice your own stats. That's just something that is put into these players' heads from a young age. So even little kids kind of think that way too. So I don't think that's necessarily Matheny's fault there. I think that Beltran just thought that that's what he needed to do to help the team. And Matheny backed him on it even though he he took a lot of flack for it he was willing to do that and I think that's really ultimately what a manager needs to do you would like them to be a good in-game tactician but the truth is there aren't really any that are very good so (laughs) you might just have one like like what I mean there's some out there that just completely betray their players I can't think of this particular instance. You mean the case like Bobby Valentine in 2012 with the Red Sox where the players clearly resented him and the team just completely fell apart, that kind of thing? Yeah, something like that. Or like when um, maybe it was Chris Sale's manager when he cut up the jerseys. Oh, Robin Ventura. Yeah, like I don't know. That might not be a good example, but there's just some examples of it where 
they just don't back their players, and you can tell that they aren't backing their players, and they that's what they need to do. I feel like I feel like that's the only thing they need to do. And plus, Matheny's a good he's good with the media. He's a good face of the franchise. He's not going to do anything too controversial to you know embarrass them. So it's I'm not incredibly happy with it, but I'm not surprised by it. And so I don't think it's worth it's not worth my energy to be upset about. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of hard to evaluate Mike Matheny as a manager because, as you mentioned, like one of the main things that comes up when people are discussing Mike Matheny is sort of soft factors, things like how he's able to handle players, how he's able to deal with the media, and they're things that you can't really evaluate. But if you look at the perception among a lot of fans this year, I feel like a lot of sort of the tide turned on people that were very pro-Matheny for the first four years of his tenure. And I think it was largely for factors that were out of his control. I feel like the Cardinals did not come in second place in the Central this year because Mike Matheny was a bad manager or because Joe Madden was a good manager, even though both could be the case. I think it was because there was a talent gap. And I think that had they switched spots, the Cubs still would have been the best team in baseball. And just as I wasn't particularly inclined to give Mike Matheny a lot of credit for the fact that the Cardinals won 100 games in 2015... I'm not going to blame him for the fact that they fell back in 2016. Well, I mean, I am, I guess to a degree, but I'm not going to place the win-loss record solely at the feet of the manager because, like like a lot of people, I don't consider the manager's role to be that significant. I think that overall the Cardinals have had a lot of good teams, and that's why the team's done well. And you can give Mike Matheny credit for the fact that the teams haven't fallen apart, but I think that would be true under a lot of managers as well. I just kind of disagree with the idea of giving him an extension. Like, I wouldn't have fired him after the season, certainly. It's hard to, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what, like, unless there was some sort of scandal that came out, then firing a manager for only winning 86 games a year after winning 100, like, it would be hard to justify it to the next person you want to hire that this is going to be a stable job for you. Because at that point, it's going, there's going to be a certain vibe that it's not going to be a secure job. And that it's just going to be all of the crazy demands in the world. And, like, I'm all for demanding excellence, but at the same time, I don't want to have it to such an unrealistic degree that nobody's going to be able to meet it. And they're just going to have a parade of managers like it's like George Steinbrenner at his peak of firing <laughs> managers once his ownership of the Yankees began. Yeah, like, we don't yeah. need Mike Matheny to be like a new Billy Martin where <laughs> he's just constantly being you know, run through the ringer. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with Matheny going forward because, like, I, I feel like he is progressing as a tactical manager. Like, it's not as quickly as I would like, but I do think he's doing better than he was in 2012. Like, I, I don't think at the very beginning of 2012 there's any chance in the world he would have Matt Carpenter as a leadoff hitter because he's not fast enough. Like, it would have been very much sort of that old-school idea of what a leadoff hitter is. And he's at least come around to that. And certainly there are things about him that frustrate me. There were things that frustrated me about Tony La Russa as well. But as you sort of mentioned before, all managers have their shortcomings. Like Joe Madden, for instance, is one of the most acclaimed managers in baseball. <laughs> and he pitched a Raldis Chapman in Game 6 of the World Series with a very safe lead to a point where he was fatigued for Game 7 and ended up blowing a save. And had the Cubs not won that game, he would have gotten all sorts of blame. And he bunted with one out and a runner on third with Javi Baez. Yeah, he did, did that as well. With like, a tie game or something, wasn't it? 
I feel like when you're judging managers, you almost have to judge them a little bit on a curve because there are like there are certain managers that are better than others and like I think overall like Terry Francona, for instance, of the Indians is one of the better managers in baseball, but you know, he does things that are still fairly frustrating at times and I just think the perfect manager doesn't exist and there isn't it's not just because they don't exist, but everyone has their own idea of what the perfect manager is. There's just a lot of decisions that have to be made, and they're not always going to be right, or they're not always going to work out, and we can try to judge them with foresight and not use hindsight, but ultimately, it's a hard job to have. (laughs) I think finding the perfect manager is going to be a fairly difficult endeavor to begin with, but... I think as long as the manager's at least starting to at least aspire for perfection, that's a good start. And, like, I'm not confident enough that Mike Matheny's going the right direction that I would give him an extension, but I think there's also enough small bits in there that I wouldn't be just firing him right away and just replacing him with just anybody. Because there also is the fact that you're going to lose guys in the clubhouse when you fire anybody, and you have to weigh whether or not that's worth it. If the manager's just such a disaster that you're losing 20 extra games a season, then yeah, it might be worth risking alienating guys who just happen to like the guy. But I don't know that Matheny's causing that much of a detriment with his tactics. So I think in conclusion, who knows? (laughs) Which is a, a very intelligent way to put things. But, you know, other than Mike Matheny, there's also a lot of news as far as players are concerned. One of the big stories... And it was a story that we'd really been tracking for a while. Like later in the season was Jaime Garcia, and the Cardinals ended up picking up his option for 2017. He'll make $12 million next season. It was an interesting move because Garcia had sort of an interesting season because what's generally been the case with him is he's been very good when healthy. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And then in 2016, he stayed healthy, but just wasn't very good. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on Garcia as far as like what his role is, whether you agree with them picking up the option, just general opinions on him. The option was what, like twelve million? Twelve million, yep. So you're not gonna get pitching the quality of Jaime Garcia for twelve million. You're just not gonna do it. Despite his struggles last season, his upside is so high that it's worth it to me. Besides the Cardinals have money. It's it money is not something that I feel bad about necessarily wasting. I mean, yes, that could be resources spent somewhere else, but it's money and it's one year and there's not a lot of other options on the on the market anyway. If it were a trade or something, I always feel I always hate trades. I don't hate trades, but I'm always a lot more skeptical of trades because I feel like the resource is more expensive than money is. I don't exactly know why. (laughs) I think it's because you're taking a chance that what you're getting is not going to be as good as what you're giving up. And like with money, you can always make more money or earn more money. You shouldn't make money. That's illegal. But (laughs) But with players, you can't necessarily just get a player back if you trade them away. Okay, so what you're saying is that basically you can either pay $12 million for Jaime Garcia or... You can go into the season with less depth, and then if something happens, you risk having to give up a ton for it. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. That's the smarter way of saying it. <laughs> that's that's fair. Yeah, with Jaime Garcia, it really does come down to what his market value is. And 
Like Bartolo Colon already signed for twelve point five million for one year, and he's he's pitched pretty well in the last few years. But he's also going to turn forty four in May, so seemingly he's on borrowed time. Jaime Garcia's, I think, not even thirty yet, or yeah. maybe I think, I think, I think he j- just turned thirty. Yeah. But you know, certainly not a pitcher that you would expect to be done for at this point. Like it is hard to evaluate the market just without looking at other pitchers because. You, you hear twelve million dollars, and there's sort of this mindset of, "Oh, well, that's more than I'll make in my lifetime." But you know, be that as it may, it's not more than a lot of other mediocre pitchers will make next year, because there's just a sense of desperation. How much is Mike Leake making? Mike Leake is making uh, it's sixteen million per year for the five years. It's kind of weirdly structured, I think. As far, but we'll that's just say, the average annual value. Yeah, we'll just say sixteen for and and like Mike Leake's a pretty average pitcher. Like he's like almost the exact epitome of league average. And the contract that he signed, like you could argue that it wasn't a good idea for the Cardinals just based on the position they were in, based on the depth that they had. But like the contract he signed was pretty much what was expected to be signed by somebody for Mike Leake. And when you have a guy like Jaime Garcia, who, like last year, he was a little below league average, but not that far below. And whenever he's pitching really well, like in 2015, is well above league average. Like $12 million is really not saying a whole lot. And like even if the Cardinals don't want Jaime Garcia back, you can pick up that option. You can trade Jaime Garcia for, for something. And like the $12 million, it's not nothing, so... It's not like you're going to be able to trade Jaime Garcia and get like Mike Trout back or something, but you can get something back, and it's it's worth having, and you can line up that depth, especially when you have guys like Michael Waka that you're not sure what they're going to be able to be as far as starters going forward. You have guys like Alex Reyes and Luke Weaver who are very impressive, but I'm not sure that you're necessarily going to want to rely on them either. You know, If you're going to say that Jaime Garcia is unreliable because of his injuries— well, we at least know that when he's healthy, he's going to be a consistently fine starter. We don't necessarily know that about the young guys. You're just kind of hoping for the best there as well. No one can see me, but I'm nodding my head. <laughs> she, she is nodding her head. I'll, I'll sort of do narration of <laughs> Heather's uh, gestures, I guess. Yeah, one other interesting option, speaking of guys who could be starting candidates in theory, is Trevor Rosenthal. And it, the news came out earlier this week that the Cardinals were trying to stretch him out, and it's a little unclear what exactly they're going to do with him, but Derek Gould had reported something that I actually suggested about a week ago on Viva Alberta's, which is that Rosenthal, because he's had experience as a starter, could be in sort of a role of like what Andrew Miller was for the Cleveland Indians in the postseason, which was a guy who would come in, not necessarily like as a closer, but he'd come in during intense situations like the fifth or sixth inning. He'd go a few innings at a time. He'd really just lock down the game for them. And, like, Rosenthal was so ineffective last year that I don't want to necessarily bank on that happening. But if it could happen, that would be a really valuable thing to have. And, like, there's so many spots. There's only so many spots for the rotation that he may not really be able to fit in there. But, you know, if you trust Sung Wan Oh going forward as a ninth inning guy, it may give Mike Matheny a little bit more flexibility, a little more comfort with putting Rosenthal in a more unique situation. I'm really in favor of this. I don't want to put too much stock into like a three or four inning sample size at the end of the year, but I think watching that, it really set the stage for what Trevor Rosenthal might be capable of when truly healthy. And I've always liked him in that fireman role. I 
liked him as a closer, but one thing that I didn't like about it was that he was pigeonholed to the ninth inning. Yeah. When he was the eighth inning guy, they could just bring him in. They didn't feel like they had to wait till the ninth to bring him in. They brought him in whenever they in the late innings whenever the team needed him. And I think that that's a good role for him. The only problem is with the walks, he has to be healthy. He can't just walk in runners and stuff if the bases are loaded. But I really like this idea. I know I read somewhere that they were thinking about starting him, I thought, but maybe they just meant stretching him out. Yeah, that was what I had seen was stretching him out. And and stretching out could mean starting, but really I'm not sure at this point what like what purpose that would serve because like certainly you're going to have Carlos Martinez and Adam Wainwright in the rotation. Those guys are just absolute like barring injury, those guys are absolute locks. You're going to have Mike Leak who like he's not a superstar by any means, but like he's fine. He's still under contract for a while. Seemingly is going to be in the rotation. But then you have a lot, and you have other guys that you may not be as certain about. Like Garcia obviously if he doesn't get traded would be one of them as well and but you also have Alex Reyes, you have Luke Weaver, you have you know, a whole host of names who could fill that role. Like Rosenthal could fill that role, I, I guess, but we know what he can do out of the bullpen. And you mentioned his performance in Game 161 on that Saturday, and he was fantastic in it. And he'd actually been pitching better in his relief outings after coming back from injury before that point as well. And I know people tend to joke around whenever somebody gets injured, you know, quote unquote injured, I guess you could say, <laughs> when they've just been bad. But like he may have actually just legitimately been hurt and now he's pitching better. So maybe that's going to be, maybe he's going to come back and he's going to be really good going forward. And if you can have Rosenthal being what he was, you know, in 2013 or something like that, and you also have Sungwon Oh being you know, 80 or 90% of what he was last year, that could really be, you know, a heck of a one-two punch for the bullpen going forward. As far as other um, free agency news beyond the pitchers, like the one major free agent, I guess the Cardinals, well, you have Matt Holliday, who as we've addressed, the Cardinals did not pick up his option for next season. They also chose not to extend the qualifying offer to Brandon Moss after he had a very bad ending to the season, so... It's hard to know exactly what they're going to do there, but reports have suggested that the Cardinals want to move Randall Gritchick to left field and bring in somebody else to play center field, whether that's going to be a free agent, um, a trade, uh, internal option, really hard to say. The the main center fielders that are out there this offseason, you have a guy like Ioannis Cespedes who sort of is alternated between center field and the corner outfield throughout his career. Coming from the Mets, you have Dexter Fowler who just won a World Series as the center fielder for the Cubs. Are there any free agent options that you particularly like? Are there any other guys that you're looking at with any particular level of interest? Not me. I'm not really keen on... I mean, I not that I don't like those players, <laughs> but I don't think that, that, that either of those players offer too significant of an upgrade defensively uh, over Brandon Moss and Grichik and center. Maybe I... I know... Well, over Brandon Moss in center, yeah. Right, but, but yeah, Brandon Moss in left, Gritchick in center. I I know that Dexter Fowler supposedly had a good year in center last year, but I wonder if some of that had to do with the fact that he had, you know, Jason Hayward in right field and... <laughs> yeah, I think that probably played a role. And, like, even his supposed defensive renaissance really just announced him being sort of average the last couple of years. And he's a guy who's going into his 30s, and a lot of his 
game is based on speed. It's it's really hard to imagine him aging super well. Like maybe he could be a serviceable corner outfielder, and he's a good enough hitter that it would be worth it. But at that point, it's not addressing the problem that supposedly you're trying to address with moving Randall Grichik to left. Like at that point, I could easily see Grichik being a better defensive center fielder than Dexter Fowler, like now and, and certainly going forward. One option that I and I know that obviously they didn't give the qualifying offer to Brandon Moss, but I was looking at NLB trade rumors. They have sort of suggestions for like how much they think players are going to sign for. They actually have the Cardinals signing Dexter Fowler as just their guests for four years and $64 million. And there's a qualifying offer attached to that, so they would lose a first-round pick. I'm not that worried about that part, but you know, $64 million is still $64 million. Uh, Cespedes, for that matter, who I trust even less defensively but is a better hitter, was uh, five years, 125. They have him going to the Dodgers, and I think that's probably beyond what the Cardinals are willing to spend for a center fielder. But... Let me pull up Brandon Moss's contract for you of what they're suggesting. They're suggesting that Brandon Moss will sign with the Washington Nationals. I'm going to make sure I get the dollar amount right here. They have Brandon Moss at two years and $14 million, like for the course of the entire contract. And like, if you can get a guy like Brandon Moss for $7 million per year, like even if he ends up having bad stretches like he had in the la- end of last season, I would totally do that. And you have Brandon Moss play probably in left field because they've said that they want Matt Carpenter to play first. And at that point, like it's not super exciting to go into the year, into the next season with Brandon Moss, Randall Grichik, and Stephen Piscotty as the outfield. But like, I think it's fine. You still have depth and you still have a lot more money left over that you weren't spending on Brandon Moss. And I know fans tend to get annoyed whenever we talk about the Cardinals budget as though it's really any cost to a fan if the Cardinals spend more money because who cares? It's up to them if they want to spend more money. But you know, if they're going to save money not spending it on a, a key-name free agent, they could theoretically spend that money elsewhere. They could spend it on extending Carlos Martinez. They could spend it on you know, working out deals with some of their better young players. I know most of them are under extensions now, but if you want to try to work something else out, then you could do that. Carlos Martinez extension... Good take. And <laughs> but yeah, but you could have a guy like Brandon Moss, and if you're paying him $7 million a year, you're not going to be also be that crushed if he ends up in, on the bench. Like You don't have to stop at that move. If you decide that that's not enough, then you can make another move to try to improve the offense. Whereas if you sign Dexter Fowler to play center field for the next four years, like how much are you expecting him to play center field? How much are you expecting him to keep up his offense? Because... You know, before like this year, and I guess last year to some extent as well, people weren't really perceiving Dexter Fowler as being like a big name free agent type player. Like he was a good player, and teams would be certainly happy to have him, but he wasn't considered any sort of franchise cornerstone. And Cespedes, to a degree, was like that as well. Like before Cespedes got to the Mets, I never really associated him as being a great hitter. I associated him as being a good hitter who was you know kind of a tweener as far as corner versus center field. But it'll be interesting to see what happens there with free agency. And you know, certainly as more rumors heat up, we'll be addressing them. But at this point, not a whole lot going on, so we don't want to just blindly speculate. But uh, speaking of center field, um, Heather, I'm going to ask you a trivia question because that's just, <laughs> that's just kind of a thing we do now. And okay. <laughs> people seem to enjoy the trivia questions. So uh, let me pull up this exact page. So talking about center field and... Cardinals have implemented several center fielders. 
They have played uh, 20 different players in center field since the 2010 season. Uh, okay. Now, I do not expect you to name all of them because there's absolutely no way I would get all of them. But l- let's just see how well you can do. Okay. So let's start with this year. And just to clarify again, this is any amount of time in center field. So if they played like one inning, there's nobody that played just one inning. But if there were, that works. Okay. So Stephen Piscotty. Played center field? Yeah, Stephen Piscotty is... Where is he on the list? Make sure I have his list pulled up here, because I actually don't see him on here, but I know he definitely... Oh, there he is, number nine. Okay, Okay. he's number nine on the list. I was going to be very confused there. Randall Gritchick? Yep, Randall Gritchick's number three since 2010. Colton Wong? Colton Wong's number 12 on the list. Jason Hayward? Jason Hayward did not play on the Cardinals this year, but yes, he is on I the know, list. I know, I'm not thinking this year. Okay. I'm, I'm moving on. Okay. Um, Hayward is number 14 on the list. Peter Borges. Peter Borges is number four on the list. Shane Robinson. Shane Robinson is number six, so you're six for six so far. John Jay. John Jay is number one on the list. Since 2010, you said? Yes. Um, uh, Colby Rasmus. Yep, Colby Rasmus is number uh, two on the list, so you're, you have eight players down. This is where it gets tricky. I mean, there's like one more From this somewhat year. notable player, like who's like has way more innings than anybody else you've missed. But I know who's number one. That's number one's Jay. Oh, was Jay? Okay. Yeah. Um, did Alan Craig? Yep, Alan Craig is number seventeen on the list. <laughs> I was like, that's when Ryan Braun hit that triple, and then he fell. <laughs> I'm yeah. going for it in the park home run because Alan Craig was some. For some reason, in yeah. Central. Alan Craig also played second base that year. It was really weird. That was a weird like year. Alan Craig is like utility player when he could barely play like corner outfield or first base. <laughs> was Larusa had interesting ideas, but okay. So you you have nine out of okay. nine. Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran is on there at number fifteen. Oscar Tavares. Yep, Tavares is number nineteen. So eleven for eleven. Um. So there's only one player with fewer innings in center field than Tavares. It's probably gonna be like Pete Cosma. I'm not saying anything. Okay. Um, Pete Cosma. Pete Cosma's not on the list. I didn't no. think so. I Pete... knew he was in left field one time, but... Yeah, he played left field, I think actually a couple times, which was weird, but... <laughs> um, you, mean, I... you mean just give you the rest of the names? Yeah. I got... What did I get? 11 of them? You got 11 out of uh, 20, so let's make sure I remember which ones you said. Uh, number 7 on the list was Jeremy Hazelbaker. Oh, yeah. Oh, number five was Tommy Pham. Oh, was everyone forgets about Tommy Pham. I mean, Mike Matheny forgot about Tommy Pham. <laughs> it makes sense. Uh, Skip Schumacher was on the list at number oh, shoot. eight. I Joe Mather was number 10 on the list. Oh, I forgot about Joe Mather. Yeah, I, I would not have gotten that one, I can safely say. Uh, Adrian Chambers was oh, yeah. number uh, 11 on the list. Uh, Randy Wynn was number 13 on the list. Unf- mm. I have unfortunately not wiped away the memories of the Randy Wynn era, but... <laughs> I'm sure he tried his best. Um, Corey Patterson was number 16. So we have two players left. It was number 18, Ryan Ludwig, who apparently played center field at some point for the Cardinals. So that's that's good for him. Uh, number 20 was the immortal Eric Komatsu. Oh, I remember Komatsu. But yeah. I would never have guessed that. I should have gotten Hazel Baker and Pham. Yeah, other I... than that, I don't feel bad about not getting the other ones. Yeah, I remember Komatsu like in the abstract, but I don't really remember him actually playing. Like I remember him being on the roster. I just don't have any actual memories of like what he looks like or Oh, I remember one really good at bat he had where he just kept fouling off pitches and then uh he finally got a like a double or something. It's very Mar- Matt Carpenter esque. 
Yeah, like the, the, the really good Eric Komatsu at that was one where he just fouled off a bunch of pitches, not one where he like... They were tough pitches. Got a hit or anything. He did get a hit. He got like a double. Oh, did, okay. Yeah. Well, good for Komatsu. I feel like we shouldn't just be, you know, racking on, you know, players who are all better at baseball than we are here, but... <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> you... Oh, that was me. <laughs> I feel so cynical and jaded now. All right. Yeah. Well, that was another round of I Ask Heather trivia questions, and she never counters with trivia questions. <laughs> One day I will. I have, I have my own trivia cooked up. I just have to do the research because I don't know if I can actually answer it. It will be a trivia so difficult that I will have stumped the, the great John JF125. <laughs> to, to plug for my Twitter handle, yeah. okay. Well, um, yeah, that's pretty much you know all that's really going on as far as Cardinals news is Definitely a bit of a uh, dead period, but you know things should be, sorry things should be picking up in the coming weeks and months and years and decades, and <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. And it's not the strongest free agent class this year, but the Cardinals have really come right out and said what they were looking for, and whether they get a center fielder through free agency, whether it's like a player like Dexter Fowler or. And make a trade, you know, try to get like a Kevin Kiermeyer from Tampa Bay or something like that. We'll be sure to, I don't want to say report on it. I'm like Derek Gould will report on it. We'll just talk about it. And yeah. Make, <laughs> talk about his reporting on it. <laughs> and make, Thanks, bad, Derek. make bad jokes and talk about how he's going to eclipse Eric Komatsu in innings played as a center fielder for the Cardinals soon enough. <laughs> but, yep, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Um, anything else you wanted to add other than plugging? things no uh i'll just plug my twitter handle lil underscore scooter 93 yeah if they aren't following you by now i'm not sure they're ever going to but you never know yeah could be, could be a first time listener in which case they listen to us just list off a bunch of center fielders so if you come back for a second time we'd greatly appreciate mm-hmm. it um you can follow me on twitter as heather mentioned before at john jf 125 uh, check out Viva Albertos on Twitter at Viva Albertos, Facebook.com slash Viva Albertos. Just go to the main website. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever else fine podcasts are given away for free because we don't sell them. I think that about does it. Uh, thank you once again for listening. If you have any uh, questions, comments, or concerns, send me a message on Twitter. Email me at you know same name as the Twitter handle johnjf125 at gmail.com. I'll possibly listen. We'll see. But um, certainly appreciate everybody listening and hope everybody enjoys preparing for the off season. The impetus? No, um, I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> the um... start? Not start. It's like. We could play this game for hours. It's like. Um... <laughs> um... Like stage. That really... Okay. It's at the stage? Yes. Thank you. All right.